Hey everyone, this is Greg. And before we start the podcast, I want to give a quick shout out to our sponsors. Our first sponsor is Cloud MLX from, you guessed it, Lone Wolf Technologies. Your MLS system needs a dust off, an upgrade, a fresh perspective. With Cloud MLX, the creative team at Lone Wolf have done just that. It's a redo under the premise, what if I could search my MLS like Google? You don't need to replace your existing MLS system software. Just provide Cloud MLX as the easy MLS search solution to your members. They will love you for it. Check out Cloud MLX and the rest of the Cloud Agent Suite at cloudagentsuite.com. Also, I'm very excited to announce from Rob Hahn, the Notorious ROB, comes the Notorious VIP. As a Notorious VIP member, you'll get exclusive access to Rob's intelligent analysis, written and audio commentary, plus op-ed style articles. The Notorious VIP is a monthly or yearly subscription for those in the industry that want to go a few levels deeper. So please sign up at notorious-rob.com. I'll put a link to both sponsors in the show notes. Also, if any of our listeners are interested in sponsoring the Industry Relations Podcast, please drop me a line at gregrobertson at gmail.com. Hey, thanks again for listening. And now on with the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome to an episode of Industry Relations with Rob and Greg. Uh, this is obviously your co-host, the notorious Rob. And I'm staring at the big, beautiful brown eyes of uh, my co-host, Mr. Greg Robertson. <laughs> Hello, Rob. Hola. <laughs> How, how's, uh, how's corporate life going, man? I'm learning a lot. And I've, I've right. got so much more to give, Rob. You do have. And you know, here's the thing. I do want to say a thank you to Lone Wolf for allowing you to keep doing in this relations because that wasn't necessarily given. So big ups to them. Big ups. Uh, Absolutely. Yes. And because we have, you're allowed to do that. Now we actually have, a, a, I think it's going to be an incredibly fascinating conversation with us. We have a very special guest. We have with us, Jeff Tucker, who is a senior economist with Zillow. Hi, Jeff. How you doing? Hey, Rob. Hey, Greg. Thanks for having me on. I'm doing well. How are you? All right. Thanks for coming on. Thanks. Yeah, yeah. I, it's I, I know even with uh, these COVID times, we're just sort of zoomed out of everything. But we appreciate you, you know, coming on to talk to us a little bit about this fascinating. I mean, we're gonna start with this. I, I have a feeling we're gonna talk about a lot of different issues, a lot of different questions around housing and the economy. But I got to start with this this uh, article that you guys released, right? Zillow Research released. Talk about twenty twenty one. Expect to be the best year for home sales since 2005. <laughs> That's right. Tell us we, a little uh, bit about that. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, at, at the end of 2020, that, that was our chance to uh, plant a flag with a prediction. Where, where are we going in 2021? Uh, we knew that the second half of 2020 had seen just a remarkably hot housing market. And I, I think the simplest way to to explain what we're predicting for 2021 is that that heat, that strength of the housing market is going to carry over pretty much all the way through 2021. So the, the headline number that, that caught some eyes was, yeah, predicting 6.9 million existing home sales, uh, which would be up about 22% year over year. That's crazy though, man. I mean, yeah. I, to me, being in this business for so long, it's been, well, between five and 5.5. Well, between you know, when you, when you get friends that ask you non real estate, well, how many hold that? That's the number we've been saying, but six point nine, man, that's crazy talk. No, 
it's a big number and it's the highest since 2005. But there are a lot of statistics we are seeing right now that are the highest since 2005. Our monthly home price appreciation uh, has been over 1% nationwide. So that's translating way up into the double digits for, for annualized growth the last few months. So you know, we, we think that there is currently a perfect storm of factors to support continued rapid home sales. And, you know, so far in through this winter, I think our predictions have been borne out. This was a pretty remarkable winter for the volume of home sales and the speed of home sales, where we're still seeing home sell median uh, home sale in a little over two weeks compared to typically this is the doldrums of, of the year, right. right? This is typically by far the slowest time of the year. It's like the, the driver just never took their foot off the gas pedal with the housing market this winter. I'll shade down our forecast a little bit. I, I can give you all a sneak peek that, that you know, we're always revising or sure. we update yeah. the data. Uh, we update the forecast every month as new data comes in. We're now saying 6.8 million oh, uh, sales for the year. said qualitatively, yeah. One of the fa- factors was appreciation. I mean, what other factors are you guys looking at? The appreciation, I think, is more, it's, it's another barometer of how much demand is out there in the housing market right now. So, you know, some of the inputs we use for our forecasting model are recent pending sales. So that's kind of our fastest measurement of how many homes are moving through the pipeline. Uh, we keep an eye on more purchase mortgage application growth. That's remained very, very strong. And then, then we work in some kind of broader economic features. Really important thing here that I, I know you want to talk more about today is household growth, household formation. That's a major tailwind right here. I could dive way into that, but uh, the, we're going to. <laughs> great. Yeah, simple story one thing there. I haven't is, heard you mention is is interest rates. I mean, that's that's got to be number one, dude. Right. That's my next factor. I kind of mentioned. Yeah, interest rates have absolutely changed the break even the, the the cost benefit comparison between owning and renting right now, as well as all of these kind of unique features of the pandemic that I think have mostly tilted the scales away from, you know, core urban rental markets in favor of further out suburban uh, suburban purchase markets. So we, we've absolutely seen this crazy bifurcation between rent appreciation slowing or rents falling, especially in the highest priced urban markets, uh, while home price appreciation has been so strong. And, and so absolutely interest rates play a major role there. They help buyers' budgets go further. And that is one of the factors that's, it's also difficult to forecast. And, and certainly some of the early data that we've already had the last few weeks is suggesting that rates are beginning to rise again, right? Uh, so we don't know how long these, you know, 2.75% typical 30-year rates are going to stick around. Right. I think buyers have gotten wind of that. They're kind of rushing to take advantage of that this winter. That it may be one reason that it's remained so hot. But I think a lot of buyers are still out there kind of stymied from the fall. I think a lot of buyers have been kind of beating the pavement looking for homes. Uh, so, so there's a lot of remaining pent-up demand there to buy. Yeah, there, wasn't, there wasn't a lot of spring selling season last year either, right? So everything kind of, kind of pushed because of COVID. Uh, you know. That's right. When, when we look at listings or pending sales, there's just a giant divot taken out of the, the line chart there. A lot of that kind of got moved off into the second half of the year. So yeah, it, 
all, all in all, you know, it basically in terms of sales, it basically made up for the missing spring sales. One thing that's interesting there is that listings didn't, that the flow of new listings didn't really get that catch up growth, didn't make up for the, the missing listings from the spring. So that's another factor we are predicting and, and you know, hoping comes to pass is that more listings hit the market. So let me ask you a really dumb question to begin. And then hopefully ask increasingly smarter questions. But that's my, you're taking up my, that's my, usually my gig, Rob. Is I don't know, man. You and I can both ask some really stupid questions. So, you know, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to give up the stupid crown to you. Right. So the dumb question is when's at the height of the bubble, how many homes were sold? Wasn't it like around seven, seven and a half million? Do you remember? Yeah, I think seven, seven point two, seven and a quarter million right. was the uh, was the previous. Piece. But that was at the height of the bubble with the mortgage, you know, the ninja loans and all that. Like, why should we? Is this different? So, the price appreciation and home sales growth of the last year was supported by lending that that actually verified income, verified jobs and assets. We still and you know the types of mortgages being issued. It's plain vanilla fixed rate 30-year mortgages, some 15-year mortgages for mm -hmm. typically more well-off people. It's very sound lending. There, there's a lot of the economy, a lot of workers who have done fine. In fact, uh, have built up a tremendous amount of savings kind of unexpectedly over 2020, which is kind of burning a hole in their pockets. So mm. in fact, there's a lot more financial resources to draw on and it's being supported by really sound lending. We still see sky high credit scores. These are qualified borrowers. I know I've saved a lot of money, Rob, just not going out and, you know, drinking it. Well, you know, just. But that, that, that's, that's a you and me personal problem, right? It's not, I don't want to accuse 20 something, 30 something new families of having our conference lifestyle. You know what I mean? <laughs> so I guess one thing I'm curious about there, Jeff, is what is the current median price to income ratio in the United States? Because you're talking about 1% monthly price appreciation, right? That's call right. it 12% a year. I mean, that's nobody's getting 12% raises, right? And at least here in Las Vegas, you know, some 30, 40% of the people have just lost, they, they don't have a job. So do you know like what the current PTI is? If not, like you could email us later or something, you know, let us know. Right. Yeah, I don't. I don't have it. I don't have it on my on the spot um, Yeah, I should have. I should have like probably let you know that I was. I was curious about that, but I wasn't <laughs> curious until you were talking. <laughs> so all right, because obviously affordability is a major concern. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So we have seen that that price to income ratio. It seems to be you know by some measures it's up up over three. It's gone up a lot. So we just had a brief about this in the fall where we yeah. found that. The impact of falling mortgage rates was largely offsetting the rise in prices. That that can't go on forever. That won't go on forever. That that these lower mortgage rates can offset it. But in terms of the share of income spent on people's mortgages, we were seeing that fall from late 2018, which was when we we really had some higher rates back then, and that really threw some water on on a previously hot market. Uh, mm. it, it cooled things off quite a bit. Uh, but but ever since, as rates came back down. Uh, and plunged in 2020, that share of income spent on mortgages kept falling. It's down by our metric. This fall, it was down to about 17.5%, which is very affordable. Mm -hmm. 
So yeah. when do you think, um, when, when you were talking about the reasons for this rise in the number of, of, of home sales, you know, one of Zillow State admissions and of other people in the prop tech space, like let's say Open Door, has been that if you can make the transaction simpler, if you can make it easier, you're going to increase mobility. People are going to be able to, you know, come in and out of homes faster and quicker. Now, you didn't state, you know, that as being some of the reasons there, but when do you think that the impacts of I buying? And things that have Zillow, you know, initiatives that Zillow has, and other people in the prop tech space and the fintech space, are actually you can kind of point to like you know what, we wouldn't see that 0.5, we wouldn't see that million new homes in there in the past because it was harder to buy and sell homes. But now we can see that the technology we've been creating, investing in, is now really making everything a little bit more frictionless. When do you think this stuff that you guys and others are working on are really going to make a factor into other than those kind of overall things you just talked about. It's hard to say. I, you know, I think it's in the next several years. It's and and how much of that is in the earlier part of those next several years versus the later is is really hard to say. That's an important mission because when you look at the long-term trend, Americans move a lot less than they used to. They 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 move around the country less, they move around their city or their neighborhoods actually a lot less than they did in the 50s and 60s. And it's not just because our population is much older now, even sort of age, age-specific age mobility rates have kind of consistently fallen. So I, I think there is room for improvement there. Another kind of really important aspect there is, is household formation. So the tendency of people to go out and get their own household rather than you know living with five roommates or living with their parents that actually fell significantly after the Great Recession. It kind of hit a high watermark in 2006. And people at any particular age have been less likely to have a place of their own ever since then. We saw that begin to turn around in 2018 and 2019 for for some groups, Um, especially 2019. We started to see young people a little bit more likely to get a place of their own, which was the first time that had kind of begun to turn around. So I think that's another aspect is not just people moving, but the ability to move out, get a place of your own is something that hopefully kind of taking some of the friction, some of the sand out of the gears can enable more people to accomplish. Jeff, I mean, that leads to my next question, which hopefully is slightly more intelligent by last one, which is, do you guys have any data on who who's buying and who's selling like demographics of buyers and of sellers? It's hard to get a good handle on that for 2020 to get sort of a nationally representative picture. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a lot of reason to think that a lot of the purchases are being driven by young folks buying their first home. So people in their 30s, uh, that kind of typical first-time homebuyer age mm-hmm. range. Mm-hmm. It seems like a lot of those people have moved up that decision. They've accelerated it, possibly in or likely in part due to the pandemic, also to take advantage of these super low mortgage rates. And then the other part of the story is just the size of that group. There are just an unusually large number of people, several million extra people centered around age 30 right now uh, than there were 10 years ago. So we would expect several million more uh, in that that millennial wave hitting that, that age of buying their first homes. So they're all kind of, all those tailwinds are kind of combining right now. Okay. So that makes sense. So who's selling? That's a great question. So builders have had a banner year, you know, builders really got to work responding to this demand. Uh, so new home sales, especially the the last several months of 2020 
were fantastically strong. When you look at existing home sales, the you know the sellers could be baby boomers downsizing or silent generation, older folks downsizing uh, or moving in with their kids, you know, moving in with their adult kids. Anytime you bring up demographics, there's sort of what's going on with kind of right. the, the front end of the age distribution as well as the, right. the back end. Because the thing that always puzzled me about real estate whenever the market is like this, right, is, okay, so let's say, let's say I'm, you know, 65 and I have a four bedroom home that I raise my kids in and all that. And it's like, okay, we're empty nesters, want to sell. Okay, price appreciation means like, hey, if I if we sell now, we're gonna get whatever better price than we've ever have. But I gotta live somewhere. Do you know what I mean? Like, so I can't just sell my house and then what? Like to your point, yeah, if I'm moving in with the kids or if I'm retiring overseas, that makes sense. But if I have to live somewhere, even if I'm downsizing, and for that matter, especially if I'm downsizing, then potentially I'm giving up, you know, a more expensive second, third home, right? That the first time home buyers aren't gonna compete with. But if I'm downsizing, I'm then competing with the first-time home buyers in their 30s, right? So it, it was just that, like when we know the inventory is okay. so tight, like how does that happen? Who's selling? Maybe they're going to like some condo in Boca, you know? I mean, just, you know, that type well, of that's thing. Well, right? that's what I'm curious about. Is that what's happening? Like, are we seeing a lot of these sort of older boomers or older Gen Xers like us saying, hey, you know what? We raised the kids. They're out of the house now. Let's sell this house. Because chances are they're not selling first-time home buyer homes, is what I'm getting at, right? They're not selling the three hundred thousand dollar, you know, homes. They're selling the six hundred thousand dollar, you know, family home, and it doesn't sound like that's what the thirty-somethings are looking for right now. Or could they afford it? To be frank, right? So that's why I'm just puzzled. Who's selling these homes at these first-time home buyers? I mean, could it could it be like I mean, you know, back in the day with the Great Recession, there was a lot of institutional buyers. You know, I, I've heard like. Full neighborhoods were being bought in the Atlanta area, right? Las um, Vegas, invitation I mean, homes. Maybe Vegas yeah. have has invitation homes, and and those people in hell with twelve percent, you know, one percent a month appreciation. Maybe it's time they cash in those. Checks. That's what I'm wondering. Yeah, part of the story there can be a chain of vacancies. So the empty nester with a big empty house sells to you know that Gen X family whose kids are now teenagers and they need even more space. Mm -hmm. They sell their starter home to some millennials who have a couple toddlers running around. Uh, so you, it's, you know, it's like videos of hermit crabs, right? Where they each sort of trade right. up and, and move into the bigger shell. Right. But then um, what happens to boomers, right? Cause our, our death rate is not up. You know what I mean? Like uh, it's, up, it's up about 500,000 based on last year. It's not enough to deal with the demand. Right. So yeah, it's not like we're seeing factor, not to go morbid on us, but I mean, you but know, it's the truth. I mean, life expectancy is getting longer, not shorter. So not, not, I mean, look at COVID though. Five, what they're talking about 500,000 people have died because of this. I mean, that's gotta be some, it's gotta factor somewhere in this. Well, I mean, 5.7 million homes sold this year. Right. And these guys are projecting 6.9 million. Well, I mean, it's, it's that, chunk. <laughs> you know, it's like, I mean, and who are, who are the ones that are, you know, that are most susceptible to that. It's the older generation, right? It's a, it's a what do they call this? It? A silver tsunami, right? There was a, there was actually a term to this, right? But I have a feeling that Jeff and his team probably didn't take death of elderly to people to COVID into account. You know what I mean? So what do you think, Jeff? I mean, is it institutional sellers? Is it older people just dying off? Like where where are these homes coming from? There certainly are older folks passing away, but we we also know the home ownership rate falls at a certain point. 
it's been getting older and older, but those are homeowners who they can't maybe live independently in that house they have to maintain themselves anymore. So they may move into retirement homes, mm-hmm. uh, retirement villages, assisted living. There, there's sort of a whole range kind of depending on their health status and their needs, right? Um, but so a lot of those folks, some of them certainly do just pass away, but actually a lot of them, a lot of people sell off that home before it gets to that. So that's one source. You know, a, a, another source is is certainly this interplay. It's the, the porous connection between the rental market and the homeownership market. People may be taking this opportunity to sell those single family rentals that, that they've been holding onto mm-hmm. uh, because they, they recognize they, they can lock in those capital gains right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and from what I've heard that the single family rental market has held up better than, you know, some of the pricier high rise multifamily rental right. market, but mainly the price appreciate, appreciation makes it tempting to sell now. And then there are there are vacant units or, or just in some cases uh, dilapidated or vacant units where now with the rise in prices, it becomes economical for their owners to fix them up, bring them into the market and actually sell them. Right. And then finally, people with multiple homes, right? Yeah. So maybe people are selling what was a vacation home to someone who's now just going to work remotely next to Lake Tahoe and good for them. That, that sounds fantastic. Uh, right. So there, there can be some of that interplay as well of people letting go of that second home or third home. Right. Okay. And, and then the other part of that too, Rob, is that there's not that many homes for sale. But that's right? my point. I, mean, I read somewhere, I was like, there's, you know, 334,000 in the whole country right now. I think that yeah. oh, I saw some uh, thing about that. And like, you know, there's like a million five realtors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, look, I mean, my my thing. So this this actually fits right in with um, the second major topic I was super curious about, right? Which you mentioned, Jeff, which is family formation, right? Like, if there's anything I would actually really dispute, and I'd want to see like the data and see where you guys are joined, this is family formation because I'm just, I mean, I'm just not seeing it, right? And I haven't seen it since like 2009, and I've been obsessed. Like my wife thinks I'm crazy because, you know, I'm just obsessed with like millennial dating habits and, you know, stuff like that. Like, why do you care? And I'm like, it's because if you, if you don't have dating, you don't have marriage. If you don't have marriage, you don't have family formation. If you don't have family formation, you don't have home sales. But you guys are predicting like straight up, like family formation is a tailwind. We're going to see a lot more family formation. Like what, what's the data saying about that? Yeah. So one number I, I like to keep an eye on is the number of people 25 to 34, age 25 to 34. Right. That population is up from, you know, roughly 40, 41 million people 10 years ago now to 46 million people. So it's up 5 million extra people in that age range Mm -hmm. uh, or about 12% more. That age range is critical because that is when so many people go out, get their own place. And it's, really the the front end uh, sort of the earlier age range of first time home buyers mm-hmm. that's two separate points right someone a lot of people go out the first when they form their own household when they become their own household head it's in a it's in a rental but that that net demand is is really critical there of this kind of surge of new households so when you run the numbers on this and just it's it's not we don't even necessarily have to predict say that 35 year olds today are going to be more likely to get their own place than they were 10 years ago. We just know that 
they're much more likely to get their own place than a 25 year old. They're much more likely to buy their own place than a 25 year old. And because there are just so many more 35 year olds today than there were 10 years ago, that should drive a lot of this net household creation. So, and, okay. So you guys are looking at a household formation, which technically speaking is just simply, I don't live with my parents and I don't live with a roommate, right? You're not, well, it could be, I don't, I don't live in a house that doesn't have another bedroom because I'm having a baby well, too, but that, right? Right, I mean, I'm actually making a distinction between household formation and family formation. Because what I'm saying is I've been tracking millennial marriage rates since 09 and millennials are simply not getting married. They're just not getting married. Yeah, yeah, I get that. But also I'm just thinking about people that work for me, a lot of millennials, right? Yeah. And it's amazing to me that they're buying houses together. They're having <sighs> babies together. So really. all without being married, right? So I don't know if the the marriage thing is as big as uh I think there's some cultural thing that's going on where that's just not like uh it has to happen before these other things happen. I know, you know, three three women in my company that have bought homes with, right? And right. they um, bought homes with their baby daddies. Bought homes with it's just just their their their, their boyfriends, right? And then I know one and another one that's that's having a baby um, right. and haven't bought a home yet and they're not married. I mean, and it doesn't make sense to me. My wife, you know, there's no way. Got to put a ring on this finger, right? I mean, but that doesn't seem to be, those are not like uh, standards that, 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 that they have anymore. I mean, just based on people that are working for okay, me. Okay, so Greg, if that's true, then we should see that reflected in the data, right? In other words, like NAR publishes data about more single women are buying homes, uh, like just uh, by themselves, right? We've seen that data come out. Yeah, I don't know if it's by themselves, but are no, by it's by the no, it's by themselves. Like they like they're thirty one, thirty two. They're an attorney. They're whatever, and they're like, I'm not waiting for to get married. I'm gonna buy this condo. I'm gonna buy this house, right? And that number has increased steadily over the last few years. Okay. Now, is that household formation or family formation to you? That's household. That's not family. Okay. It's a single woman. I mean, she doesn't have a family. Okay. Right? right. But she's a householder and she has bought a home. Okay. And uh, so among millennials, the expectation has always been once these kids grow up, right? Like we all went through the same thing, right? We Gen X, we were a bunch of morons and fools. We were the slacker generation. And then when we hit about 28, you know, we started settling down and getting real jobs and getting married, et cetera, right? And then you look at millennial marriage rates. It's like 20 points below every generation that came before. So what I'm saying is that if what you're saying is right, that the millennials culturally are different, so they're just willing to buy homes with baby daddies, they're just willing to have kids without, without getting married, then I feel like the sales stats should show that we have more unmarried buyers buying together. But aren't we at the beginning of that wave though, right now? I don't know. So it's a question for Jeff, because Jeff, Jeff might have this data. So, Jen, are you God, seeing we've got that? A senior economist from Zillow here to, to solve our problems <laughs> right now. I, I mean, that's a great point that we we haven't yet resolved. Like, how many millennials will end up married by the time they turn forty? Right? That it, it will be it's too. Yeah, we're too well, early in this. Well, no, over man, 10 years acor to, according to Pew, re according to Pew Research, twenty five percent of millennials will never get married. Right? Never. And then I wouldn't be surprised, Rob. I mean, I tell you right now, everybody's pregnant in my company. Mm -hmm. Okay. Cause what, I mean, it's a pandemic. What are you going to do, but be at home? <laughs> I mean, no, no, look, I, like I said, if it's, if it's a cultural change, it's cultural change. Right. I mean, you know, it happens. Like I get it. 
Uh, I think it's. But but it, to me, like what I'm saying is that I don't know if we have like we're we're ju- we're trying to measure something or guess on something. We haven't really gotten there to the point where we can say all these things because they haven't reached though that eight that um that age yet, right? But may- maybe it's not a fact of like they're not getting married, but maybe it's a fact that they're just going to get married later, much later than than we than we thought, right? I don't think we don't have all the information there to kind of. To, to make those okay. Uh, so what we're saying is, instead of the average age of marriage being twenty nine, let's say you're saying it's going to be like thirty five, thirty six. Sure. And Why but not? before they get married, they would have bought a home together and had kids together. I think. I think the precepts that we have right. as Gen Xers and and and, and, boomers. and baby boomers yeah. and all that stuff. I don't think they can be really this native digital generation. Yeah. Every time that I think about things in in in, the, in culturally and everyone else, is the one thing that I underestimate always, mm-hmm. always mm-hmm. is the internet, and <laughs> and this feels like it feels like that is part of this is that that the internet is like changed this 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 generation so much that it we we're only really scratching the surface of what it is. Uh, no, I I agree a hundred percent. My point is that the impact of the internet has been to decrease marriage rates, decrease dating. And decrease, like all all measurements of family formation among millennials. Well, you, right. when you say decrease dating, I mean when you say just yeah, the I, I mean that's dating. your Gen X version of dating, right? Well, I was I suppose just random hookups and bars. Yeah, no, I guess. No, I'm talking about like a date nowadays can be, you know, two people on Zoom. That's a date now. That's not a date, I, dude. Yes, it is. That's it's a not Zoom. a date to your old Gen X oh, ass. Okay? Dude, it's it's not a but, date if you're not like touching each other. It's not no, a date. You no, can't no. have virtual babies over Zoom. I mean, it's no, just I'm not, I'm, I'm not talking about having sex. I'm talking about a date. But if it's not sex, then Hold it's on, not a date. Jeff, if there's Jeff, no- Jeff, how old are you? <laughs> Let's just put uh, Jeff on the spot. <laughs> you're a you're a yeah, I'm, I'm, I, I'm a millennial. Yeah, I'm 33. <laughs> okay, right. Rob, shut up here. Okay. Jeff, can you have a date via Zoom? For sure. You, you absolutely can. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Rob. Okay. I will grant to Rob that, that you cannot have, have babies via Zoom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's all, it's all changed, man. Your, your perception of what, uh, I mean, it's, it's so old school, man. I mean, you got to get with the kids like I am, man. That's how you find, I, I how guess so. That. I guess so. So if, if you can have a date by Zoom, I guess OnlyFans is what, you know, I, I, you know, that's fine. So here's the thing. Fine. If we, we're going to have dating by Zoom, my whole thing is if we're looking at household formation, then there's some truth. There's a lot of truth to this notion. That there's a tailwind. What I'm looking at it, though, is like house, single households are even, I just don't know if they buy the type of single family residences, right? So who buys those 20 years from now? To your point, like, the, the 60 year olds are going to sell their homes to 40 year olds, right? Who are going to sell their homes to the 30 somethings, right? Well, the later marriage, fewer people getting married, smaller families. I'm like, what happens to those houses, right? And I don't know that, I don't know the answer, but that's why I ask economists, like, what do you guys think is going to happen? Because they're the experts. What do you think, Jeff? <laughs> There's a big risk of overestimating how different millennials will behave from previous generations. And it's true that if you've got this kind of S curve, uh, you know, of going from unmarried to married, then measuring right in the middle of that S curve, you can get these huge 20 percentage point differences that that Rob was talking about. But I think 
the catch-up growth there that, that Greg pointed out is really important, that by the end of their 30s, millennials look a lot like previous generations. And in terms of their tendency to get their own household, so you know their, their headship rate, the fraction of them who are household heads, it's only a few percentage points lower than similar age cohorts uh, 10 years ago. Mm. Uh, so fr from that perspective, I just think it's very easy to overstate how different things are. Um, and then at the moment, you know, the pandemic has certainly shifted a lot of this demand momentum away from, you know, say smaller condos and big multifamily buildings towards single family homes. When we break out the, the inventory changes this year, whether it's single family or condo, single family is down. The inventory crash in, in, in single family homes is just remarkable. It's, it, it, there is such a, a drought of single family homes available. They're, they're moving so quickly through the market uh, that you know, anytime you go in to measure how many there are, it, it's down over 40%, just a, a tremendous shortage of, of single family homes right now. So I, I think there are a lot of people out there who, who really prefer to own a single family home. And it doesn't mean you have to have be you know, married with children to want that. People like not having to worry about noisy neighbors. They like having some some outdoor space and they like and, a know, little home control office. of their property. Right. Maybe it's not yeah. a, maybe it's not a nursery. Maybe it's just a home office, another bedroom or you know, room to, to set up your home office, right? Exactly. I'm I'm selling my house right now. Uh that's why I'm coming to you live from uh, from an Airbnb uh -huh. uh, while while my home's on the market. But we were talking with our agent about who should we be kind of be marketing and it, this too. And it's it's a tiny two-bedroom house. And now what we talked about is, you know, a, a single, you know, work from home professional might be the ideal buyer because they want that second bedroom as their home office. And we, we wouldn't have even really considered that a, a major kind of buyer category even this time last year. Hmm. Okay. And I'll make another prediction here, guys. I think you remember going to all the conferences, Rob, where they were talking, the millennials are coming, the millennials are coming, and they yeah. like to do everything on their phone, and they're never going to use an agent and everything else. And that that did an entire backflip because what, what you soon discovered is that these millennials were raised by helicopter parents who did everything for them. They handheld them through. They got them in the right schools. They they took them to you know they drove them to to class and or school and back. All the things that you know as a Gen X guy. I mean, I was a latchkey kid, right? None of that thing yeah. happened to me. Yeah, yeah. So what happened was is that you saw that <laughs> no, they wanted to use agents more than ever because they wanted they were used to that that adult helping them out through that. Yeah, they wanted to have some digital experiences, but we want that. But here's what I'm also going to say that's going to, that I think millennials are going to surprise people on, is a lot of these millennials, they like their parents. Their parents like them. I bet you you're going to see more of this kind of like multi-generational uh, homes. I think in the end, they're going to have their parents come live with them. Where in previous generations, that wasn't really the case. Maybe maybe for, you know, uh, immigrants or some of those kind of families or culturally. But I think as a group, I think they would be more open to bringing their their parents into their home than than previous generations have. That would be my, that's a prediction I have. What do you think about that? I, I think everything is said is probably right for the elite twenty percent or so of the millennials. My biggest concern with with millennial generation and Gen Z after them is it's just growing gap between what I consider the elites and everybody else, right? I feel like we're, we're in the sort of leading edge, if you will. In other words, like the kind of demand that we're seeing, the kind of you know, people who are buying houses, the kind of stuff that Jeff was talking about, I'm, I'm imagining essentially like 
some 30 something, you know, working at Facebook or an economist at Zillow, right? And we're not looking at this roughly 60% of millennials who don't have college degrees. Those people are never going to be homeowners at this current rate. Well, not, and, not in, not in, not in Mountain View, right? But I mean, I don't know that they could be homeowners somewhere. anywhere. Yes, of course they could. How? Without a college degree in this economy? I, I've got a couple developers that have, don't have college. Uh, that, dude, I mean, that's that is that's not what we're talking about, right? We're not talking about genius hackers who dropped out of college. You know, we're talking about like car mechanics and grocery store workers, right? We're talking about people like I live. I mean, Las Vegas, right? I mean, this this town runs on entertainment. A lot of those people don't have college degrees, and I don't. I'm looking at their them going. Okay, if we have twelve percent price appreciation, uh, and the economy is the way it is, like I, I don't know, man. It's it's that's that's what concerns me about them. All right, and okay. and the hold on, and the economic thing leads right into the marriage problem, right? And that those so those two are the things that I'm most concerned about. Having said that, I love the research that Zillow's done because what it's showing is the demand is, hasn't gone anywhere and. You know, if we really do see 6.9 million home sales this year or 6.8 million home sales this year, that's a game changer. Yeah, totally. You know what I mean? That's a total game changer. So I don't so know. Jeff, I don't want to. Here, here's what I want to know, Jeff. I mean, where, typically the real estate market has been in like normally goes in, what is it? Seven or nine year cycles, right? Up and down, up and down. We're still not experienced the down yet. I mean, you know, and then in those down markets, people can come back. I mean. And I don't even know if you would call this, and you know, it's so weird with the interest rates we're at now. But do you think this is going to level out? Do you think that there's going to be a turn where affordability increases? I mean, what, what's your, what's Zillow, what's your prediction about that? So we we do see appreciation slowing down by the end of 2021, really by probably autumn into next winter. And you're right because you know if if prices grow 12% per year forever it would eat the entire economy. So it, it has to slow back down. And, and I think you know it's important to keep in mind the difference between price levels and the pace of price appreciation. Because at, at current levels, home prices in most of America, certainly not Mountain View, certainly not Seattle where I'm based, in most of America, home prices still look like a pretty good deal compared to renting. And, and you know, people without a college degree, they need a place to live. So they are, you know, still making that same choice between renting and home ownership. When when we dug into this in Las Vegas uh, in the fall, the little under eighteen percent of the typical income is what it would take to cover the typical mortgage there. Mm. That's pretty affordable, and, and that means that a, a pretty big swath of the working and middle classes, in principle, should still be able to afford to get into home ownership there and and in most parts of the country. I think it's an interesting idea of, you know, how marriage seems to be kind of moving from traditionally this idea of, you know, like like a catamaran, you're more stable with kind of two people to lean on and sort of work together as a household. I think a lot of people are kind of seeing it as a capstone moment, uh, the capstone model of marriage, like we've mm-hmm. got everything's figured out and now we can throw this big five-figure wedding to celebrate how we've got our life all sorted out. You know, I personally think that's that's too bad that that people um, may think you know that we need a big giant budget to to have a wedding and to share with your whole family and community that you know that you love someone you want to spend your life you're going to spend your life together. So I think that's a, that's an interesting challenge and that's part of the story here. But at the same time, you know, I don't see 
home ownership getting so far out of reach for a lot of people. And in, in fact, we have seen the home ownership rate rising in the last few years in tandem with with these rising prices. So I, I do think, you know, larger swath of America is getting into it. All right. So I know we're, uh, we spent a bunch of time and, you know, honestly, like for, it's so awesome to talk to economists who, who can be fun because, you know, there are some pretty dry economists. So thank you, Jeff. I have just one, one last question and then, and it has to do with the money supply. You know, there's been some media reports that the U.S. money supply is just absolutely skyrocketed in 2020. Like, is that something we should be concerned about in terms of how that might affect the real estate market? I don't think the money supply in particular is is a proximate concern for the housing market or for, or for inflation or prices. You know, I think what's more important from monetary policy is that they've they've made it clear that they're willing to let the economy run a little hot, maybe overshoot their inflation target after undershooting it for several years. I think all of that is contributing to a, a fast economic recovery, and that's sort of the the most important piece of the puzzle here is, is helping to get unemployment back down, get America back to work. But certainly, you know, the, the, I, I think the connection to the housing market is certainly through mortgage rates. We've still got incredibly cheap credit to buy homes, you know, that's making those monthly payments more affordable for people. Well, all right. Well, you know, we heard from a professional. So I think, uh, I think I'm going to take that to, to heart because, you know, I've been sitting here like worried about asset bubbles and things like that. But, uh, uh, Greg, I mean, you know, that was my question. You, you got any last questions or parting words for our guest here? No, I mean, I think it's just, again, it's, it is interest rates, but I think, you know, when you get down to this family formation and household formation, man, I, I think we're underestimating the internet again and, and what it can do and how it can change our lives. So I don't know if we have the damn everything figured out, but, um, I, I'm still just amazed at the 6.8 number. That's just yeah. crazy, but, um, wow. What a time right now to be in real estate. Um, for sure. Yeah. Thank you. Jeff. Thank you, Jeff, for joining us here. Yeah. And by the way, 6.8 number at a 12% a year price appreciation. So, Hey, realtors, now's the time to salt that money away. I'm, you're going to be making bank like crazy. You know? <laughs> you have more, for sure. So yeah, let's uh, say thanks, Jeff. Jeff, thank you so much for spending some time with us and enlightening us two fools. But it's it's always wonderful. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Thanks so much for having me on. Please check out the work my my team does at uh, my colleagues do at Zillow.com slash research. Right so, on. And uh, Jeff, if anybody wants to reach you, what's the best way of reaching you? You got a Twitter handle or somewhere else? Yeah, you can find me find me on Twitter. It's uh, at Jeff underscore Tucker without the R. Without <laughs> the too common. Yeah. <laughs> so it's Jeff Tucker. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right on. <laughs> well, thank you very much, Jeff. And uh, thank you to our audience for, for listening to us. As uh, otherwise, without you, why would Greg and I do this, I guess? Uh, and uh, speaking of that, Greg, what should they be doing? in the sacred bond between creators like us and listeners like them they should be listening to the following message thanks everybody <laughs> bye y'all thank you for listening to another episode of industry relations rob and i both appreciate your support if you can find the time please visit wherever you listen to your podcasts and give us a five-star rating and write a quick review it really does help the show Thanks again, and from Rob and I, be good to each other.